as I said last week, we uh, in our passage we, we we talked about the man the, the man born blind. We're going to do it in two parts, and so today is the second part. So we're going to cover uh, chapter nine, John chapter nine, verses thirteen, all the way to the end of the chapter, verses uh, to verse forty-one. Okay, so John nine thirteen through forty-one. <clears throat> They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind men again, What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him, that he had been blind and received his sight, until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But... By what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. Because the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was, that he was Christ, they would put him out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man, talking about Jesus, is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses. As far as this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and you were teaching us. And then they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when, they had, when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time this morning. Father, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to be with us if we are to understand truth from your word. And so, Father, we pray that you will give us eyes to see and understand and hear uh, what you have to teach us this morning. 
Father, we pray that you'll use your word uh, to change us and make us more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we have seen, uh, Jesus uh, has performed uh, many amazing miracles during his earthly ministry and there were various reactions. Uh, Many times we see where the people believed him and glorified God and other times they absolutely refused uh, to believe him. Well, the healing of the blind man is no different. Uh, Last week we looked at the healing. We talked about uh, the relationship between sin and suffering in the world. We spent a lot of time looking at that. Uh, And so now this week we're going to look at the reaction to the miracle. Uh, The MacArthur Study Bible had a wonderful summary uh, that we could use as an introduction for these verses. And it said this, uh, This section in the story of the healing of the blind man reveals some key characteristics of willful unbelief. Number one, unbelief sets false standards. Number two, Unbelief always wants more evidence, but never has enough. Number three, unbelief does biased research on a purely subjective basis. And number four, unbelief rejects the facts. And lastly, number five, unbelief is self-centered. So, verses, let's, let's get started. Verses 13 through 15, it says... John tells that they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. They. Who is the they? The they is the man's neighbors, okay, his friends. And uh, for some unknown reason, they decided uh, to bring, or they, they knew about the healing, they heard about the healing, and they decided to bring him to the Pharisees. John doesn't tell us why. We don't know. We don't know why. Uh, and of course, as they brought him to the Pharisees, they questioned him, and it gave him the same answers as before. Right? He's already been asked about this, right? But here we mentioned this last week. But the narrative here in John's Gospel gives us a, a new detail. The miracle took place when on the Sabbath. It took place on a Sabbath, right? Now you remember uh, the healing at the pool of Bethesda. You remember that? That miracle also took place on the Sabbath. And we know uh, within that case, the Pharisees had a big problem with that. And it is no different here today. They have, they are, they are, as, as the, the introduction talks about unbelief, setting false, false, uh, false standards, and wanting more evidence, and never getting enough. All these things are at play here. Okay, the Pharisees are just trying to trap Jesus. They don't like Jesus. They can't stand him. They're trying to trap him. Verse 16 says, Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Of course, they're talking about Jesus. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And then there was division among them. Now, when we think about, they're referring to the law, okay? Um, and they're upset because the healing had done on the Sabbath. There is nothing in the law of God against anything Jesus has done for this man. Nothing, okay? We noted earlier in an earlier section uh, that the Pharisees had added 39 specific types of work that were not allowed on the Sabbath. Okay, um, they had. You remember they had. Uh, there was a fence that God had put about keeping the Sabbath. They had 
put an even bigger fence, trying to keep people from even getting close to violating the Sabbath. But they had added to the Word of God. But one of those specific types of work that was prohibited, okay, one of those was the kneading of dough to make bread. Can't do that on the Sabbath. So perhaps they were trying to make a connection. The fact that Jesus combined uh, saliva with uh, clay to make, uh, with, the, with the earth to make a clay, that, that was, uh, hey, that's, kind of, that's basically the same thing as kneading dough, right? He had to mix it and make it and put it on the man's eyes. Never mind, of course, why he made it, right? We talked about the means last week, why sometimes Jesus uses means, sometimes he doesn't. We don't know exactly why during this um, miracle. It could have been for this very reason, for this very thing about dealing with the pharisaical uh, hypocrisy. But never mind why he made it. Never mind the amazing miracle that happened. Never mind that the Sabbath, as Jesus tells us, was made for man. Remember, not man for the Sabbath. Never, never mind, of course, that the Lord of the Sabbath, okay, the one we're talking about here, the one's on trial here, is the one who is able to declare what is lawful and what is not on his day. If these folks, if they had been uh, the people of God, they would have been praising God for this miracle, for this miracle of healing. They would have been praising God for the mercy that had been shown to the blind man, right? Instead of arguing about petty things. They would have been rejoicing in just an amazing miracle of someone receiving their sight. Instead, what do they do? They argue about their own inventions regarding technicalities about work on the Sabbath. Now notice, John also tells us that this opinion was not unanimous. Some others gathered here raised a most excellent question, didn't they? He says, how can a man who was a sinner do such things? How can they do signs? Well, those folks that raised that question seem to understand the purpose of miracles, don't they? They, they seem to understand it. Now, in, in past miracles, you know, there was, when they talk about division, they were referring to the crowds, the people, right? Now, where is the division? It's among the Pharisees. Now, they're divided. So, they ask a follow-up question of the man born blind. Verse 17, they said to the blind man again, Why do you say about him? What do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. He said, the blind man said, he is a prophet. Now note, that's a good thing that he said, right? It's a prophet. He's a prophet. That's a good thing. But notice he did not say he is the son of God. He did not say that. He had not yet come to the full realization of who Jesus is. He's convinced because Jesus did an amazing sign that he is a prophet. Um, so, so we see he has, he also, this man has a good understanding of miracles and who can perform miracles. So it's at this point that the Pharisees, okay, we're, we're, we're not getting anywhere with him. So this whole case here, this whole charge, it really hangs on the fact of whether or not this man was really born blind. So now they want to attack this. Okay, is he, is he really born blind? So what do they do? Call for the parents. Can we talk to the parents? Verses 18 through 
23 says, But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been born blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he now see? His parents answered and said to them, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But what by, but by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. And John inserts this little piece. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews before the, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that Jesus was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, what John says, that's why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So, they're trying to, they're not getting anywhere with the son. They are changing their methods. That's okay, let's verify if this man was really was born blind. They ask his parents two simple questions. One, is this your son? And how can he now see? Well, of course, the parents affirmed, yes, this is my son, and that he had been born blind. But the last question, they did not answer. Right? They did not answer how. How is he able to see? And they did not answer. Dr. Sproul said, this is an incredible manifestation of corruption. Wow. Think about it for a minute, okay? John doesn't tell us how old the man is. We just know he is of age, okay? We don't know exactly how old he is. But just imagine how long his parents would have agonized over their son's condition. Again, in, in this day and time to be born blind, it's almost a death sentence, right? Um, it must have been extremely difficult to have a son, a child born, and only to discover that he's blind, and then he'll never see. There was no hope of him ever seeing. So you can just imagine what the parents have been dealing with, because the man had been um, forced to do what for a living? He was a beggar. So just imagine, this is your son. Right? Just imagine this for a minute. It's got to be devastating news. And then just imagine that one afternoon your grown son walks in to your home and says, I can see. Just imagine that. What what would be your response? Wow, elation. How? How is this possible? R.C. said, you would want to crawl over glass to thank the man who healed him, wouldn't you? Yes, you would. It's an amazing testimony, an amazing miracle. Yet, when, it, when they're asked, how is this possible or who did this? They claim ignorance. They told the Pharisees, ask him for, them, for yourselves. He's old enough to answer for himself. Again, John tells us what's going on. He does not leave us to guess why they responded this way. The Pharisees, the Pharisees had issued this edict that if anyone confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, they would be excommunicated from the synagogue. This was a, this was a serious threat. 
And so the parents feared that if they connected the miracle of healing to Jesus, that would result or they would take that as a confession that Jesus was the Messiah. That was their interpretation. That was their conclusion. That was their fear. Okay? That was their fear. They don't want to be excommunicated. If we say that this man, Jesus, did it, we'll be kicked out of the church. We'll be excommunicated. <clears throat> it's at this point that Dr. Sproul said, you know, listen to this. This is amazing. We're like, how in the world is this possible? He says, but guess what? He said, we can be just like these parents. You and I can be just like these parents. We know that God many times works in our lives in ways that we cannot even possibly describe. Okay, does amazing things in our lives. And the reality is when the heat is turned on, we are very quick to distance ourselves from Him. We've uh, we've said this before. You know, a lot of people in the world will say, you know, they, they they'll say things about God. Remember, but but many times they hesitate before mentioning the name of Jesus. Because kind of sometimes if if you if something happens great, it's um, people will say, "Well, I'm just thankful to the man upstairs," or "I'm thankful that God has a plan," and nobody really really has a problem with that. Some people probably do on the extreme far side, right? But most people are okay with that if you say that. Even in a, amongst unbelievers, right? They're really not going to cost you any friendship. Not going to cost you your job. Maybe I hope it, most people it won't. Not going to cost you anything, right, if you say that. But as soon as you mention the name of Jesus, what happens? That gets people's attention, doesn't it? Um, this just this past uh, Friday, <clears throat> we had a recruit school graduation in Columbia, and they give awards out to the the class. They have several awards. One award is a GPA award. One award uh, is voted on by the class as to the best recruit who exemplified all the the best qualities, right, of leadership. And the other another award is voted on by the staff as to who. Um, had all these attributes, right? Who deserved this award? And those two awards were both received by the same person, a young lady. Okay, he was in the recruit school. Excellent student, excellent young lady, very good leader. And she got up to receive her award, and she was a very good speaker, well beyond her years. I would have not thought that she would have been that good speaking. But she did not hesitate in the middle of her. Reception of receiving his awards to give glory to her her Savior Jesus Christ. Now she's in a in a room probably of 150 people, and she did not hesitate to say why she is the way she is. That's a bold statement. I was a bold statement. I was like, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that you're here. And she said it in a very, it wasn't, I've heard some people say some things that you go, ooh, I wish you hadn't said it like that. But she did it wonderfully, masterfully, just very humbly, right? Just just really thanking the Lord Jesus for what he'd done in her life. That was amazing. Many of us are not that bold, if we're honest with ourselves. 
when the heat is on, we want to distance ourselves from our Savior. We need, for all of us, we need to pray for strength and faith. Not only confess faith in Christ, but to profess faith in Christ, right? There's two different things. Confess faith in Christ and profess faith in Christ before a hostile world, a world that is getting more hostile day by day. So the parents, they said, yes, this is my son. Yes, he was born blind. We have no idea what happened. They heard the testimony. So the parents, excuse me, the Pharisees, turn it back on a man born blind. Verses 24-25, it says, So they again called the man who was born blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man's a sinner. And he answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. The Pharisees, they say, they told him, give glory to God. That sounds good, doesn't it? They're getting started on the right track, right? That sounds really good. But then, right behind it, they reveal that they have concluded, based on their unbelief, that Jesus is a sinner. So in their eyes, there's no way He could have performed this miracle. They were saying to the man, you need to give glory to God, not Jesus. He didn't do this. You need to give glory to God. That's what they were trying to say, right? That's what they're trying to tell him. But he was he was straightforward with them. He says, remember, this man hasn't even seen Jesus yet, right? He doesn't even know what Jesus looks like. Okay, he does not understand exactly who Jesus is yet. He just knows what Jesus told him to do, and now he can see. That's, what, that's all he knows about this man, Jesus. And so he was very straightforward. He says, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. I don't even know him. Right? All I know is that just a short time ago, I was blind. And now I can see. That's what I know. Now with these simple words, the man born blind gave witness to Christ and what he had done. He, he testified about the redemptive work of Christ, right? He testified to that. However, he did not share the gospel. Okay? Now, why do we need to make that distinction? Well, what we know um, is that the terms evangelism and witnessing are often used interchangeably. Any time we call attention to the person and work of Christ, we are bearing witness to Him. This is what Jesus has done. This is an example of Jesus' something He has done. In this man's case, Jesus gave me sight. He, he healed me. So He's witnessing to the test. He's testifying to Christ and what He has done. But that is not the same thing as sharing the gospel, is it? That is not the same thing as sharing the gospel. Dr. Sproul said that many, many years ago he learned uh, he was a student of evangelism explosion. Right, A very popular uh, program helped, uh, helped design to help people in evangelism and to describe techniques. He says that one of the finest aspects of that program is that it requires everyone to write down their testimony. It's a requirement. He says it's a great thing to do. 
Um, he says, your, of course, your testimony, what is that? It says, what it says to, to write it down and to memorize it. Wait, what is your testimony? It's simply the story about how you became a Christian, isn't it? That's what it is. And that's, that's very important, isn't it? It's, it is very important. It's very important that you're able to communicate that. But we should not confuse our testimony with the gospel. Sharing our testimony is not evangelism. Sharing our testimony is not evangelism. At best, it's a warm-up. Okay? Sharing your testimony is a warm-up. You can look at it as a warm-up routine to sharing the gospel. Why? Why do we say that? Well, our testimony may or may not be meaningful to those that we share it with. Some, some people could relate to your testimony and it could move them in a certain direction. Some people will not relate at all to your testimony and it has no effect on them. The thing we need to remember is that God has never promised in His Word that He will use your, your testimony, my testimony, my story to save anyone. God has never promised in His Word to use my story to save anybody. The gospel is not about me, is it? It's not about you. The gospel is all about Jesus. And God has, prom- God has promised in His Word that He will use the good news, the gospel message of Jesus Christ to save people. What Jesus has done in this world to save sinners. He did not promise to use your testimony. Now, does that mean He can't? No, of course not. God can use whatever means He desires. But we have a, a promise in the Scriptures as to how God works in the world. The, the, the Gospel being all about Jesus, it is the, the proclamation of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And how one can attain the benefits of all the work. And how do we have it? We have it by faith alone. That is sharing the Gospel, right? Now, we see this in our passage uh, today. We see this distinction. That's why we're making this distinction, right? We see this. We see this uh, distinction. The man, uh, the blind man, the man born blind, said, "I was once blind, but now I see." That's a wonderful testimony, isn't it? It is. It's a wonderful testimony, but it's not the gospel message. This man really couldn't tell the Pharisees about Jesus' saving work. Why? How they could be saved in their sins? Because he doesn't even know that part yet. Evangelism takes place, okay? Evangelism takes place when the evangel, in this case, Jesus Christ, is proclaimed and announced to the people. That's when evangelism takes place. The gospel is that the Son of God came into this world, took on human flesh, lived a perfect life, offered it up as a sacrifice to be crucified, dead and buried for the sins of His people. And on the third day, He rose again. That's the good news of the Gospel, that the penalty of sin has now been paid for. That is, that is not my testimony. That's the testimony of what Jesus has done. 
That is not the testimony in my life of what how he worked with me. So there is a big difference. Thankfully, the blind man who was once blind did not remain ignorant, did he, of the gospel. We'll get to that later. But the Pharisees continued to press him to explain this miraculous healing and to completely discount Jesus. But he stood his ground. He would not back down. He continues to say, Jesus is a prophet. Verse 27, he answered them and says, I told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Now why do you think he asked that? Lord, what was going on here? He's getting aggravated, right? They're hypocrites. He knows it. So what? He's getting snippy. He's getting... what? That last phrase, do you also want to become his disciples? Is that a little sarcastic, you think? Oh, extremely. He's using sarcasm. He knows these people are hypocrites. And so he employs sarcasm. Well, what's the reaction? Verses 28-29. They reviled him and said... You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses as for this fellow. We do not know where he's from. So it's gotten, you know, this conversation at this point is now um, degenerated, okay, into a shouting match of insult. They're just going to insult each other now. That's where this thing is, is gone. Um, the This man, the healed man, his wit, his... His um, understanding of where they're coming from exposed their own bias, didn't it? And now they're upset. Now, we're, like I said, we're going to, go, we're going to result to name calling. If, <laughs> the, as far as the, the authorities are concerned, the conflict between Jesus and Moses was irreconcilable. We cannot, these two cannot, this is their polar opposites, and this cannot happen. Verses 32 and 33 says, Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Well, that's true, isn't it? He's right. He's so right. The man born blind is so right. Well, at those words, they had had enough. They had enough. Verse 34 says, They answered and said to him, you are completely born in sins and yet you're teaching us. And they cast him out. So he'd gone uh, to teaching them. He was taking them to school, right? When the other way around, they're supposed to be taking him to school. But he's taking them to school. And so they had heard enough. They don't want to hear the truth. They're satisfied in unbelief. So I, I, I'll just, I will silence you. Isn't that what happens? When the truth is proclaimed, what does the other side want to do? They can argue with the truth. So they will do an attempt to silence it. Has that been happening in our world on a regular basis? Absolutely. They will use every means necessary to silence the truth. The Pharisees were incensed. They were completely undone with this man. Um, Their anger uh, prevented them from seeing this insight, this wonderful insight on behalf of this blind man. This uneducated, healed man had had demonstrated this just wonderful insight. And they were just completely um, upset about it and would not listen. Of course, the Pharisees here also revealed their ignorance of the Old Testament. 
Because the Old Te- what is one of the things that the Old Testament says about the coming of Messiah? Messiah would do what? He would give the blind people their sight. This is one of the marks of the Messiah. It's never been done before. So instead of listening to what the Old Testament prophets had written and the Old Testament writers, they are completely ignoring it. Incidentally, we we do know that this blind man was the first known person that was thrown out of the synagogue because he chose to follow Christ. It's the first one we know about. But who was watching? Who knows what's going on? Jesus knows what's going on. So Jesus sought him out and he found him. And then we have this amazing exchange. Verses 35 through 38 says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? In this case where he says, Lord, we can only assume that we're... And we've talked about the use of the word Lord uh, before. Um, we can only assume that he. this is the polite way of saying sir. Okay, so who, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Now, what do he say? Lord... I believe. Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. It's just, you know, this, this is amazing, this revelation of Jesus. Who, what did Jesus do? Jesus sought him out. Jesus heard what happened. Jesus went to him. And isn't that the way we can all say that Jesus came to us? He sought us out, Right? We were not looking for Jesus. He sought us out. Jesus, Jesus revealed himself to this man um, who, who before uh, saw Jesus as a prophet. Now he sees him as Messiah. Because why? He revealed himself to him as the Messiah. And has been revealed. And so he professed faith. Yes, Lord, I do believe. And the result of faith is worship. That is the result. Worship. You know, in, in this case, we can also, we're going to remind ourselves, it's great to have a good testimony, right? Every testimony is amazing, whether yours is uh, fantastical and it's just amazing, you know, or whether it's just kind of average seeming, right? Every testimony is amazing because why? Because Jesus is the one who comes and reveals himself to you. I am he. I am the Savior. I am the Messiah. The testimony, the things about what God has done, what Jesus has done, is amazing, but it's not enough, is it? We have to share the gospel. And that's the whole reason that John says, John has a, 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 a theme, a, 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 a verse in here of his purpose behind writing this whole book, right? And it's found in chapter 20, verse 31. This is John saying, why are these things written? John says, why? But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. That is the whole purpose of it, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That is the gospel, isn't it? That is the gospel message. Believe these things. Believe who Jesus is and what He has done, and you will be saved. 
verse 39, and Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Sounds cryptic, doesn't it? But it's really not, right? It's, it's really not. Why, why is He here? He's, he's not here to condemn. He's here to save. We know that. He's here to save the lost. But in saving some, okay, when saving some, it involves condemnation of the others, the unsaved. It's the doctrine, the doctrine of election. You have the doctrine of election and the doctrine of rep, the reprobate. The ones who are saved, praise the Lord. The ones who are not that's the other side of the coin. They are condemned, aren't they? And that's what he's talking about here. He talks about those uh, who are in spiritual darkness. Those are the ones who do not see. He comes to give them sight. But the ones who think they can see, well, they'll be made blind. Because they, they're going to rely on their own understanding and they will ignore the things of Jesus. They will uh, die in their unbelief. Just like a lot of these Pharisees here. In this this passage, they refuse to believe in who Jesus is and what He's done. Verses forty and forty-one. It says, "Then some of the Pharisees who were with Him heard these words and said to Him, Are we blind also?' And Jesus said to him, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore, your sin remains.' Again, Jesus dealing with people, dealing with their unbelief. He knows they have a hard heart. Uh, apparently, Jesus found the man born blind. He says he went, you know, Jesus went and found him in verse 35. Apparently, it was in a public place and the Pharisees were present. They, they witnessed this. Because they're here, right? They, so now the Pharisees, hey, okay, you talking about us? Are, are we blind also? And basically, Jesus said, yeah, you are. Because you refuse to believe. The sin that he's referring to is the sin of unbelief. The sin of rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. If if they knew that they were lost, if they knew they were in darkness, they would cry out for spiritual sight. They would they would no longer be guilty, but they think they know it all and, and they are satisfied in their darkness. They're satisfied in the darkness thinking that it's light. And they continue to reject Jesus as the Christ and so their sin remains. There is a difference, isn't there, between our testimony, as wonderful as it is, and the sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are both of them important? Absolutely. But what has God promised to use to save people in His Word? He's promised to use the gospel of Jesus Christ and who He is. That's the message that He has said. I will use that message. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing about Jesus Christ and who He is and what He's done. That's where faith comes from. It doesn't come from my testimony. It's a good warm-up. As Dr. Sproul said, it's a good warm-up. It's a good lead-in, isn't it? It's a good lead-in to talk about what Christ has done in your life. That's amazing. But when you get ready to knock that home run in, it's the gospel message. That's when you're rounded home and you land at home plate and you tell people about what Jesus has done to save sinners. Any questions or any comments before we close? Okay. we got about two minutes left. I will go ahead and close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. 
Father, we're reminded week after week that it is living. Father, your word is living, it is breathing, it is active. Father, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It has the power to divide even joints and marrow. Father, um, we just pray that uh, today as we look at your word, Father, that that we won't be like the parents, Father, who feared man rather than fearing you. Father, that when we are confronted with a hostile world, Father, that we will have the courage to confess you with our lips. Father, we pray that you will use us, Father, use us as your instruments, Father, to save the lost. And we pray that you will um, change us, Father, uh, by your word today. And Father, as we as we end our time of study, Father, we're about to go into our worship. Father, we pray for our pastor. Father, we thank you for him. Father, we just pray that you will continue to use him in a mighty way, Father, as your mouthpiece here in our congregation. Father, we pray that as he leads worship, Father, to everything we do this morning, Father, from our prayers to our singing to our tithing to our listening to the word, Father, everything about it, Father, will be for your glory and for the sake of your kingdom. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.